0: Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. A uh, landmark decision, the NCAA Board of Directors has approved one of the biggest changes in the history of college athletics, clearing the way for nearly a half million athletes to start earning money based on their form and celebrity. Alex Stone has details.
1: College athletes will be allowed to sell the rights to their names, images, and likenesses, a major shift for the NCAA. The NCAA was forced to make the move because states are enacting laws, making the rules, barring students from earning money illegal. College athletes will be able to monetize social media accounts, signing autographs, teaching camps, and taking part in advertising
0: campaigns. Alex Stone, ABC News so what are the implications and and why all of a sudden the about face because this has been going on controversy has been going on anyway for years to come joining us to talk about all this is a moshe Lander, who is a senior economist lecturer at concordia university uh moshe thank you so much for the time great to have you back on the show today always my pleasure why the rush to get into this remember this i guess is kind of going hand in hand with the supreme court decision that came out uh that kind of pushed everybody in the same direction is is the ncaa responding to that
1: yeah, I, I mean, this has been in the, in the pipeline for 30 years now, 40 years, right? The original legislation goes back over 100 years. So it's always been a bit of an anomaly that you can't be paid for using your likeness. And uh, Ed O'Bannon, a former UCLA basketball player, really started moving things when he basically uh, went to court and said these uh, EA video games – I have my number, have my name on the back of jersey, and have something that clearly looks like my face. Why am I not getting paid for this? And all of a sudden, the the ball really started picking up some uh, some acceleration here. And next thing you know, uh, the Supreme Court, in a rare case, is voting nine zero, saying, "Yeah, this is this is a ridiculous system." And now everybody's scrambling to figure out what that means for their individual universities and their athletes.
0: Well, what does it mean? Because I, I'm reading into this. Uh, and, each individual university gets to assess their own parameters. I mean, there's the broad parameter that, yes, they can do this now, but how they do it and how they're compensated, is that going to change from university to university?
1: Yeah, I think in the beginning, right, it's going to be everybody's going to trial and error. You're going to try and figure out kind of what works best for your university. There's, of course, a a complicating factor going on in the background, which is in in the U.S. something called Title IX. Uh, It's a very broad-ranging law, but part of the way that it applies to university athletics is that uh, men's and women's sports teams need to be essentially funded on an equal footing, uh, at least proportional to the amount of enrollment. So if you have 55% enrollment uh, male-female ratio, then 55% of uh, funding for athletics can go to men's teams and 45 has to go to women's teams. The thing is that the athletes themselves can't be Paid by the universities, but they can start receiving money for endorsements. And so, you know, you're, you're going to quickly find that uh, major conferences, the Big Ten, the SEC, uh, are, are probably going to start having these weird sorts of affiliations where uh, local car dealership, who's also a booster, is going to provide hundreds of thousands of dollars to these teenage athletes uh, to shill for their Buicks or their Toyotas or uh, finding some way to pay them without the university directly handing them a paycheck.
0: Because that was always the controversy in the past, wasn't it, that uh, anybody that saw the movie The Blind Side uh, would understand that, you know, the recruitment's going on and, hey, what was going on under the table, all that sort of thing, and uh, there's the chance of losing your your amateur status, the schools would be fine; they wouldn't be allowed to be on national TV, it was a real mess. Does this clear this up at all?
1: No. Um, it, it starts pointing <laughs> in the right direction. <laughs> Um, but you no, know, it, it's still not resolved. And there's probably still more legal wrangling that's going to go on. But at least it exposes the idea that, uh, you know, a, a person can go out and have a part-time job. Uh, a university student who's a musician could conceivably perform in a band or could perform uh, in a theater play or could get compensated for what they are effectively studying to be. And let's face it that at the end of the day a lot of those athletes uh, especially the elite athletes they're not training to be accountants or economists or uh, physicians or anything like that they're training to be professional athletes and so why not let them earn money from something that's related to their craft uh, and and eliminate some of that weird situation that some students are able to earn money for their uh, skills and others are not.
0: Is there an argument to be made, though, Moshe, that the universities were making money from the the likeness and and the fame and and fortune of these athletes and the athletes themselves weren't allowed to?
1: Yeah, I I mean, that was effectively the thing that bothered uh, the student-athletes the most was the the fact that universities, you know, take the University of Texas, which has uh, a football budget, let alone the rest of their sports, that runs into the tens of millions of dollars and facilities that would rival some professional sports teams, yet here the players are... Uh, receiving effectively free tuition. And don't get me wrong, that's, you know, tens of thousands of dollars worth of compensation that they are receiving that other students aren't. But they were saying that we're the ones who are getting University of Texas football on national television. We're the ones who are driving sales of tickets and merchandise. And so at minimum, shouldn't we be receiving some portion of that? Because fine, you're giving us the, the venue in which to, to create that excitement. But we're at least the ones that are delivering it on the field, and, and, and that's kind of the, the tug of the war that's been going on between the NCAA and the, the various players.
0: Well, and we've seen that, I guess, played out. Mac Jones, is an example. He's with the Patriots now, but when he was with Alabama, I mean, they filled the stadium every home game. Uh, I'm sure that that was part of the fundraising letter, too, that, hey, look at who we've got, but we're going to need your support. Uh, and, and you mentioned the money from TV as well. So University did pretty well when they got a star athlete like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, effectively, setting aside the scholarship aspect, they are getting free labor. Yeah. So there's a, there's a certain element here where this is completely wrong. And again, the the court ruling hasn't established that the universities can pay the players, right? They're not employees of the university any more uh, than I'm an employee of those universities, Right. Uh, what it's at least saying is that you have the ability to capitalize on your profile, on your likeness, on your social media followers, and you can monetize that. That was being blocked by the universities and by the NCAA ultimately. And that was the thing that was m- kind of the oddest aspect is where does the university get a right to tell me that I can't earn money outside of the university uh, merely because I'm using my name recognition that is being derived from playing for the university. And so, uh, you know, it, it's one step uh, along the way towards ultimately seeing probably the players becoming university employees. But I think it's also one step of the way towards the disintegration of the NCAA structure entirely
0: i know that when they made their announcement the ncaa they they specifically talked about and addressed the the pay-for-play aspect and said we're not going there but that's not you know we're not going to do that uh does that sound like wishful thinking on their part i mean it seems to me as if this is a slippery slope and that's where they're headed
1: yeah i I think they're going to probably end up on the wrong side of history on that one and that sound bite's going to come back to to hurt them uh the, the fact is that there's probably maybe 30 elite universities where conceivably they're earning enough money that they could afford to pay their players uh, and reasonably so for what they're doing and the risk that they're taking. And I think that there's going to come a point where, uh, you know, University of Alabama or Michigan, Ohio State, they're going to say, you know what, we don't need this anymore. We're going to splinter off from the NCAA and we're going to create some level of uh, professionalism within college athletics where we are going to pay our players. And the rump of the NCA can remain behind uh, for those universities that want to find alternate forms of, of uh, arrangements with their players.
0: What's this going to do for recruitment, uh, which is, as we've just talked about, a very competitive business to begin with. But now that this is available, uh, does the student athlete who's looking for a university and they are looking for the star athlete, uh, is it they're going to check up what market am I in now? What are my potential uh, income possibilities here?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. But, you know, I think it's also maybe a, a little bit naive, not at the review, but uh, of those people that think that this is the slippery slope. Um, to to think that that wasn't already happening, right? We we saw, like, in a high-profile case about 15, 20 years ago, Reggie Bush, who was a Heisman (laughs) Trophy winner, had to return the trophy because he was taking improper housing benefits for his family and for himself. Uh, The fact is that that's been going on for decades, Uh, going, you know, back to SMU with Eric Dickerson and uh, the death penalty for the program because of improper benefits. So, you know, if there's one aspect that's uh, a positive in all of this, that that recruitment and that kind of sizing up what's in it for me and what can I get out of this is at least now above board. So rather than the seedy underbelly where nobody really knows exactly what's going on and there's whispers and there's all of this gossip and innuendo about who's getting what and who's paying what, at least now we can see it and that maybe creates then maybe a, a more fluid market that players actually know what they're worth and that makes it a little bit easier to understand then why players are going to certain universities or why certain universities might have an edge in recruitment uh transparency is is of course always a good thing
0: i, I know that some people are suggesting that well they're just going to look for the big markets now the, you know the la's with ucla and, and and usc and things of this nature but those are also larger cities that have pro teams and uh, I don't care how big a star athlete is at university. You've got to get in line behind the pros, the basketball players, the baseball players, the football players in those major cities. I would think that the, the, the smart attack might be to go, as you said, to a place like in Nebraska or a place like that where there's no professional team. And, and the college athletes, the student athletes there, they're the stars in those communities.
1: Yeah, and, you know, the thing, too, though, is that it's cyclical, right? So if we kind of use the the pros as an actual sort of guideline where we see how endorsements or salary deals matter, right? Uh, Take a look at the big three that's now in Brooklyn, right? Why did they go to Brooklyn and not to the New York Knicks? You would think that the Knicks are the higher profile team. And what happens is that some teams are just viewed as irrelevant, right? Michigan has been unable to beat Ohio State for like a decade. Um, So where they're both high profile universities, maybe there's an athlete who says, you know what? I can be a second string QB on Ohio State, or I can be a first string on Michigan Uh, and help rebuild that program. And if I can rebuild the program, then my potential endorsements are going to be much greater. Somebody who wants to go to a big city might feel more comfortable there. Somebody who's maybe a a little more media shy, and that's something that you and I have talked about in in previous discussions, might want to stay away from the big universities only because uh, they don't want to have that exposure uh, on the same sort of level that comes from being in a small market so it, it's going to be one of those things that i think every player is going to choose what's best for them
0: and what maximizes what they're trying to achieve it's going to be interesting to see how this rolls out i would imagine Marsha there's going to be a big influx of, of, of interest in this right off the bat now that the ruling has just come out and ncaa has finally jumped on board uh and I, it's got to level off at some point though as people find their different levels at different universities i would think
1: yeah, and, and I think one of the things that you're going to find, too, is even once it levels off, we're still going to see that uh, transitional university that decides that they want to go all in and raise their profile. Uh, an example that comes to mind is Gonzaga uh, in NCAA basketball, right, where 20 years ago we viewed them as the Cinderella Now they're a recruiting powerhouse, getting top recruiting classes, right? So, you know, even though kind of the the top universities will probably remain the top, there are those that will slip into irrelevance and those that will find their way up. And I guess it's kind of the same sort of idea that within the stock market, if we look back, you know, 50 years ago at the big blue chippers, some of them are still around and some of them have disappeared and been replaced by upstarts. And so I think we're going to see the same sort of dynamic within college athletics.
0: Yeah, there's some schools that just seem to, well, for lack of a better expression, specialize in certain sports. Uh, I don't hear too much about the Duke football team, but, boy, you want to talk basketball. That's, that's where you want to go and play ball. And, and there, that's always going to be a, a help, I guess, for recruitment. And, by the way, that's not a bad example because there you go. I think the potential for star power in, in a university like that is is just off the map.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, you, you pointed out Duke. It's an interesting example because when you said that Duke football is not all that prominent, uh, if you go back 30, 40 years, right, Steve Spurrier, the, the famous uh, old ball coach, was yes. at Duke and, and had it to some degree of prominence, but but that's exactly it. Uh, as the programs kind of rise and fall, what they're going to have to do is start making a little bit of a more cold-hearted uh, business position. And if you're going to try and go for the elite uh, status and the elite athletes, you're going to have to put up an elite infrastructure to support it. And so, what's the cost benefit? Do you have the big boosters that are going to be able to provide those endorsement opportunities to bring in the star players? And is that going to justify the millions of dollars that you would have to spend on new training facilities and upgrades to the stadium? And uh, it it really does become a business decision now, uh, where by taking advantage of free labor, the the calculations were skewed in a way that. Even marginal programs might find that they have some relevance uh, where now they might realize that, okay, they need to reconsider what their natural level is.
0: Somebody just emailed me here, uh, Gary, and asking what can they do this in Canadian universities. It's really an apples and oranges comparison, isn't it? The, the, this is all about money, and there's a lot more money in college sports uh, down there than there, there ever would be here.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I did my uh, undergrad degrees at Western. and Down the road in London, there. And, you know, Western has traditionally been a football powerhouse, but even as a football powerhouse, how many people are you packing into little uh, stadiums? JD Little Stadium, yeah. 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 And even when you're packing in, Five, six thousand people into the stadium. How much are you charging for tickets? Right, twenty bucks. Uh, so you know, there's, there's just not money there to to justify this sort of thing within Canadian universities. And then, if that's the football powerhouse, uh, you know, in Ontario or in Canada, then what are some of the second or third tier uh, programs looking like? Uh, they're they're playing to a couple hundred students that are merely just looking for an excuse to go drink on a Saturday afternoon, right? It's not even comparable. The TV deals aren't there. The the level of uh, the competition is not quite there. The number of players that make it to the CFL, let alone to the NFL, just isn't there. And so uh, it, it's probably very unlikely to happen within Canadian universities, because if you can go out and capitalize on your likeness in a Canadian university, well, good luck to you. Uh, you're probably not talking about million-dollar endorsements anyway. (laughs) Uh,
0: The one exception being that rule is the football factory called Laval, but that's another argument, I guess, for another day. Moshe, as always, thanks so much for this. Have a great weekend. We'll talk again soon, I hope. Take care. care. Moshe Lander, Senior Economist with Concordia University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.